Have you ever wondered where all those gloves that lost their mate end up? They might have ended up at OXO's headquarters. Karen Schnellwar heads up branding for OXO, and her favorite part of the office is the wall of gloves. I've never counted, but there's probably a couple of hundred up there, each with their own story to tell individually. But when you step back together and they're actually pinned up to the wall so beautifully, it almost feels like an art piece. It's still this visually beautiful statement that just reminds us of our origins and more importantly, of all of the hands out there that we continue to create tools to help and inspire and delight and make life a little bit easier. For 30 years, OXO has created better kitchen tools for for all hands. Learn more at oxo.com. That's oxo.com. Hey, Proof listeners, it's Bridget here, and I hope you enjoyed season four of Proof. We're working away on season five, but in the meantime, we're going to be releasing some short bonus episodes right here in our feed just for you. Today, I'm joined by Johanna Mayer. I'm sure you know her, but she is the host of the new podcast, Science Diction, that comes to us from Science Friday, and it is an amazing podcast. Hey, Joanna, how are you? Hey, Bridget, I'm well. So how about you tell us a little bit about Science Diction? What's that all about? So Science Diction is a new, very nerdy podcast, (laughs) and each episode looks at one specific word or phrase, and with the help of historians, authors, sometimes a scientist— We talk a little about these surprising science stories behind these words that we use in our everyday life. Basically, we're a Venn diagram of etymology, science, and history, and it doesn't get much nerdier than that. (laughs) If I hear nerdy, I'm in. Yeah, it's all sorts of fun, sciencey, deeply geeky stuff. Do you have any examples of that? Like, what do you mean? Yeah. Well, so, you know the word meme? <laughs> yeah. Which we associate with lolcats and the distracted boyfriend and basically internet <laughs> culture in general. Right. Um, but it turns out that that word actually had nothing to do with the internet when it was first coined. It was coined by the evolutionary biologist Richard Dawkins in the 70s, like way back way when he was back. still doing evolutionary biology. Wow. And that word is kind of bled into our everyday life. Ah, okay. Well, yeah, it must have something to do with copying. Exactly. Like miming, right? Yeah, basically the cultural equivalent of a gene. But what would you like to talk about today? What are we focusing on today? Well, it's a word that I'm sure that you have used many times on your show, the word umami. I know it well. I remember the first time I heard (laughs) umami. Um, Really? Where? Well, I thought somebody was catcalling me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it turns out there's a lot of nerdy science packed behind that word. So should I just dive in? I would love to know more about it. So for a long time, there were only four basic taste sensations or receptors or only four that we knew of. And those were sweet, salty, sour and bitter. But umami is now fully accepted as our fifth basic taste. So the word umami comes from the Japanese word for deliciousness, because that's basically what it is. If you're not familiar with the concept of umami, it's basically like kind of this layered, savory, comforting richness of taste. Something that you would get from eating like, for example, a long simmered beef stew or something. And we have receptors for that. Yes, on our tongues Mm -hmm. that basically send a signal to your brain. For that fifth basic taste, we can thank a Japanese chemist named Kikune Ikeda. 
And so in the 20th century, Ikeda was really puzzled by something called dashi broth. Have you ever had that? Yes. Gorgeous. Yeah, it's so good. It's a staple in Japanese cooking. It forms the base of miso soup. And Ikeda was really fascinated by this broth because it had that layered, complex, like, meatiness of taste, but it doesn't have any meat in it. Dashi broth is made from seaweed. So in 1908, Ikeda takes the seaweed, treats it, and he analyzes its chemical composition and discovers these tiny little crystals that form on top of the seaweed. And it turns out that those crystals are actually chemically identical to glutamic acid, which is a type of amino found naturally in the human body. It's actually in human breast milk. And he figured out that when you sprinkle those crystals over food, suddenly it unlocks this like total deliciousness of flavor. The flavor just really kind of explodes. And so Ikeda coined that sensation, umami. So everybody's going about their whole lives eating things and just thinking, wow, this is delicious, Mm. but not knowing necessarily why. But it took somebody to say, no, there's something else in there. And that's, I always find people like that fascinating. Totally. But umami is something that we've used over the last couple of decades a lot. You hear it everywhere, but that wasn't always the case. Yeah, (laughs) it was a long road to get there, and it really required a pretty big shift in vocabulary. You know, when we talk about umami, we're basically talking about MSG or monosodium glutamate. Um, And MSG is a compound molecule that contains glutamate and binds with sodium in order to stabilize into something that can essentially be packaged and sold in seasoning bottles and sprinkled over food to um, bring out that delicious flavor. It's essentially umami in a shaker jar. I mean, I still see signs in restaurant windows and packaging that says no added MSG. And I'm like, no, I want the added MSG. And there were two big things that happened in quick succession that really led to that boogeyman reputation. And the first is one thing that probably you've heard of called Chinese restaurant syndrome. Yes. Yeah. Does that ring a bell? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So that came from a doctor who wrote a letter to the New England Journal of Medicine in the 60s. And basically in that letter, he wrote that whenever he ate at a Chinese restaurant, he would then have symptoms that felt like an allergic reaction. And then the second thing that happened, I think just a year after that letter came out, was that a study was published in the journal Science, um, and researchers injected lab mice with MSG, and then the mice got brain lesions and had some other kind of neurological issues. So those two things together were not good press for MSG. Well, looking back among all of that information, we know now that there were some big problems with these studies when they came out. We didn't know that, but now looking back, there's some more information that's come to light. Uh, Yes, there sure were a lot of problems. So when it came to that letter with Chinese restaurant syndrome, there have been subsequent double-blind studies finding no link to MSG and these sorts of sensations that this doctor who wrote the letter was describing. And the consensus among researchers in recent years has been basically like, yeah, you might have had these sensations after eating Chinese food, but it could be any number of factors, any other spices, any other method of preparation. Maybe you just ate too much of this food and made yourself feel bad. Um, There's been no link to MSG proven. 
And then when it came to the science study, there were major flaws with that. For one, researchers in the study injected the MSG under the mice's skin, which humans are never doing. We're <laughs> right. only sprinkling MSG onto our food and eating it. And then the second big thing was that the mice were injected with doses that were fit for horses. So obviously, they're going to have some sort of issue after that. Too much of anything. <laughs> exactly. Way too much of anything. And I mean, I think that that's part of, I think people maybe do have that association when they read the words monosodium glutamate or MSG. But like, nobody really says that when you hear about umami. That's you know? true. It, it's almost kind of a um, umami really kind of got rebranded in the past <laughs> few decades or so. When I was writing this article about umami, I spoke to a flavor historian named Nadia Berenstein. I think that you guys have actually had her on your show before. Yes. Um, she's so cool. I'm super jealous of her job. <laughs> but, I mean, she said that for people in the United States to really, like, get over that negative association with MSG and for MSG to really transform into umami, Westerners needed kind of a different sort of proof that MSG wasn't harmful. And that is where molecular researchers come in <laughs> to the picture. So in the 1980s or the 90s, food and taste science really sort of ballooned and became a thing. And researchers really started looking at molecules and receptors. Another person that has written at length about this is Sarah Tracy. She's got a book coming out about this whole revolution. And in the year 2000, I believe, molecular biologists at the University of Miami published this paper saying that they discovered a unique taste receptor for umami on the tongue of a mouse. And basically what they discovered in that study is that the presence of glutamate sent a signal to this mouse's brain that caused the taster to experience this sensation of umami. And that was a huge aha moment for Western acceptance of MSG and its subsequent transformation into umami, which has become such a buzzword these days. Once Western science can like, really point to the specific biomedical link between umami and taste receptors, it's like suddenly this thing that the Japanese have known since the early 20th right. century has become accepted and even revered today. And I think some scientists today are even looking for, there's been buzz about a potential sixth taste, like beyond umami. Um have you heard anything about oleogustus? I have not heard about this. Is oleo, does that have something to do with fats? Yes. Yeah. So oleogustus is Latin for a taste for fat. Mm, I have a taste for fat. That's for sure. Yeah. Well, the jury still seems to be kind of out on this one because um, in order for something to be considered a primary taste, like salt, sweet, sour, bitter, umami, it needs to have a unique chemical signature and also trigger the specific taste receptor in your brain, you know, and people need to be able to distinguish that taste, which as far as I know, hasn't really been proven yet with oleogustus. Um, from what I've read, the taste of fat is different than kind of the feel and sensation of like the, you know, the velvety um, richness of fat. 
So what are we doing with umami today or specifically MSG? I know that there are a lot of people that have been saying for years that it was all in our minds. Any any of these terrible feelings that we had about MSG, they were unfounded. And I think we're progressing past that. What do you think? Totally. I mean, I feel like umami is even kind of past the buzzword stage even, mm, right. you know, where for a while it, it was really... <laughs> Literally and figuratively on the tip of everyone's tongues. <laughs> um, <laughs> nice. Had to get a bad pun in there. I love it. And, you know, there were restaurants like Umami Burger popping up. But now I feel like we're even kind of beyond that. And Umami is pretty firmly planted in the vocabulary that we use to talk about food all the time. I think some people who were really instrumental in that kind of transformation were these chefs that sort of went on the record in defense of MSG and of umami. And, you know, David Chang is one who really comes to mind. And Anthony Bourdain has spoken on the record in favor of MSG. Helen Rosner, who writes for The New Yorker, um, all of these other celebrity chefs and food people have really sort of like come to embrace this new taste. It just proves that we don't know what we don't know yet. So why not continue to be curious? Exactly. You know, they haven't firmly landed on the sixth taste yet. But I mean, who knows? Because not that long ago, umami was something totally unimaginable to us. It's true. When I was a kid, there were four tastes that we knew of. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pluto kept going between being a planet and a star. <laughs> <laughs> Everything changes every day. So who knows? But I think it's a great story and something to chew on. <laughs> I got my <laughs> there own plan. There you in. go. Johanna, <laughs> <laughs> so, this has been such a pleasure and I learned so much today. Thank you, Bridget. Well, if you liked learning all about the fascinating history of umami, and it was fascinating, then Science Diction has a ton of great topics on their new podcast. You should definitely check it out. And you can find Science Diction on Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts. 